Let's open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Got a redneck PowerPoint this morning. I actually tried to figure out how to do it last night, but then I got the crayon and got away from it. Got the arm tag caught in the keyboard and stuff. chart goes my way on through and you see all that and anyhow we'll cover that in a minute um <clears throat> y'all have a good week Amen. all right seven of you out of 200 that's good that's about right statistically wise how many of you are gonna have a good week this week that's right man i was so excited to eat and, you know and get together with family that's a bonus you know Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to to the adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise, the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, just right there, that whole deal is just packed with things that really, this is such an awesome book for you, uh, especially even as a new believer and a mature believer, to, to study because in the book of Ephesians, several themes that you'll notice there is that it, it uses the term the will of God, so, so God's revealing His overall will uh, and what he's doing, it uses the term the mystery of God because you remember in the Old Testament that they didn't understand exactly what God was doing and what his purpose was. And then as, as Christ came uh, along and died and was buried and rose again, it was a mystery to them. Not so much a mystery to us, but there are things that are still a mystery to us that we don't fully understand and we won't ever fully understand uh, about God, but he does reveal some of those things in the book of Ephesians and what he's doing and how he's doing it. But one of the main things that <clears throat> that you see here, especially in the first, I didn't count, I think it's about 12 or 13 times there, it uses the, the term in Christ or in him. Okay, Because everything to do with God's plan and God's purpose totally and absolutely revolves around one person accomplishing that, and that's Jesus. Okay. So if you're one of those people that you think you're part of your salvation or you have to do something to keep your salvation or, or obtain it or, or do things to, that, that, that make, keeps God happy with you, that this totally does away with that. And what God emphasizes here is grace. Okay? Um, 
And so we're going to look at, lightly look at this morning. We're going to kind of go deep, but we're not going to go real far at a time because there's a lot to cover in this first little bit. More or less going to do a Bible study more than we're going to more than we're going to preach and listen this morning. But um, so the so the important part of this is, and I'll get to that in a minute. The important part of this is that when you understand God's overall plan to a point, okay. First off, you figure out that, that the world doesn't revolve around you. It's so funny because all y'all are just sitting here looking at that. Like that's going to, we're so programmed to watch TV. Anyhow, um, maybe I need to put myself on the big screen. And that way y'all pay attention. But anyhow, we're not going to do that. Um, back to what I was saying. What was I saying? The world doesn't revolve around you. Sometimes we get so confused about God and His plan and what His relation is to us or what it's not because we think that everything in the world revolves around us and what we've got going on and then we want to find out how we can fit God into our plan. Whereas the scripture clearly shows that this is God's plan, it's God's world, we're God's creation and what we need to do is to find out what God's purpose is and what He's got going on and we find our place where we fit into his plan and that's when you find purpose in life and you find out that you have something that you have great significance in and that something you're involved in that's greater than yourself the bible answers three questions that sooner or later everybody asks is the you know if you if you um listen to philosophy or anything like that to do with evolution the three questions people ask are how did i get here uh, why am I here and where am I going? Now, if you, if you listen to uh, evolution and you listen to that kind of lies and junk that it is, cause it's not a fact, uh, contrary to popular, uh, philosophy, it's a, it's a joke is what it is. The Bible totally tears it down and, and, and I, and I or anybody with half a brain, if you think about it for just a minute, can figure that out. But, um, evolution basically says that how did I get here? I got here by accident, random chance, uh, a process of a bunch of, uh, I don't know what caused it. Nothing caused it. It just happened. You came from nothing. Uh, you have no purpose here. If, you, if you're going to believe evolution, you're going to believe that you have no point, no purpose. Your total accident, a random chemicals coming together. Who knows where they come from, from a rock. And... Um, and all of that, and yes, I have studied that, and I'm kind of botching it a little bit, but I don't want to go into evolution today. And and where you go into non-existence, you have no point, no purpose, you're an accident, you're no more important than than the dust that I'm walking on in this carp right here, or the flea that's crawling around under the, the stairway. If you believe evolution, there is no judgment, there is no God, there is no point, there is no purpose, there is no accountability. There is no such thing as, I guess I'll go into it, there is no such thing as moral law, there is no right, there is no wrong, okay? If you if you believe in evolution, okay, and then I'm not, hopefully no Nobody here does, but you run into people every day that do, and you need to communicate this. What most people don't understand is to believe in evolution, you also have to believe a lot of other things like... If there's such thing as evolution, then there's no such thing as God. And if there's no God, there's no right and there's no wrong other than what you see right and wrong in your own minds. There's no judgment, nothing to do. And I actually told one this here recently that said they believed in evolution because um, if there is no right and wrong, then it's not wrong to... Uh, to, to, to molest children. It's not wrong to be a rapist. It's not wrong to murder. It's not wrong to put 
um, people to death if they're no longer used to society, if society doesn't see that. It's not wrong to, to, to do anything. And I looked at this person, I said, you know, if you're, have I already told you all this? I don't think so. I looked at him, I said, you know what, if what you believe is true, you're an absolute idiot. Because you get up and you go to work every day at a job where you're not making a whole lot of money and you scrape to get by and all you're going to do is exist. You're no different from the dog that I just ran over this morning. All right, not really. But, and, and you're just going to go into non-existence. There is no right, there is no wrong other than what you see it. So why do you miserably get up and go to work every day to make minimum wage to come home to a house that you're miserable in and to live a life that you complain about and, and probably, you know, do things that, that you're trying to do in order to, to, to show some kind of significance or importance in your life. If I was an evolutionist, and I'm just being honest with you, no such thing as right or wrong. I'm not going to stand before the Lord and give accountability. And I'm no different than the dirt that I'm walking on. I would blow your brains out. I would take everything that you've got. And each and every person that I come across that I wanted to do that to, that's what I would do. I would kill you. I would take what you got, spit in your dead face, and walk away unaffected. And I would be over, I would be right. You cannot possibly say that. That's wrong. That's evil. No such thing as wrong and evil. No God, no evil, no good, no right, no light, no dark. It's just what you see and what you've conjured up to be right and wrong. And so to believe evolution, you have to agree with everything. This person thinks it's okay that they, you know, a 20 year old man marries a 4 year old girl. Who am I to judge? What standard would I use to judge by? There is no standard. Because I'm no different than the animal kingdom, except I've evolved a little bit. Now they don't tell you that kind of stuff, and they can't answer the questions that are, that we ask. They can't even tell you why we ask these questions. If you look at the Bible, the Bible clearly teaches that you're created by God. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. That God has, according to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, He has plans for you. He has placed you in this point in time. The Bible actually says that He knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you the way that you are. And He's given you the gifts that He's given you to accomplish both His plan for your life that's good for you, that glorifies Him, and that through Jesus you can live forever. Because of what He's done for you. And here's the thing. He gave you free will. So He also gave you the freedom to reject that. You you can choose to reject that. God, I don't want anything to do with God, Creator. I don't, I don't want to go to heaven when I die. I'll just, you know, get what i got coming. I'll face hell and I'll deal with it. And God loves you enough to go, I'll let you choose. Your faith's in your hand. <clears throat> so when you look at the Scripture, that sounds a whole lot more appealing to me than, than uh, shooting somebody and taking what they've got. But... Uh, would y'all, y'all think I'm crazy for thinking that way? I mean, honestly, this thing is, needs batteries, okay? Will you bring me some batteries? This thing, this, this, I knew the devil was going to fight this. I'll take a commercial Still working? There we go. There's a whole lot more to it than that. That's just a shallow dive into it. Um, but here's the thing. I believe everybody here, if you have a brain, uh, and you do, that you can absolutely see that you, you didn't evolve from nothing, that 
And everything does not come from nothing. That God spoke it into existence. He did it out of His goodness and His love towards us because He has an awesome plan for your life. And Ephesians starts to go into that. And when you look in in verse 1, Paul, who is writing to the church at Ephesus, an apostle, God's plan for him. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God's God's will, God's desire. That word will means his desire, his plan for Paul to be an apostle to the saints. This has nothing to do with the message. I'm going to go get behind this, but i got to tell you this. Uh, the word saints means holy ones, those who have been separated, set apart. Now, there was this... There was this mobster whose brother uh, was a wicked man and he died. And so he went to a local preacher there in town. He said, this is a joke. Huh? And so he went to a local preacher there in town and he said, you know, I know that my brother was involved in every kind of ungodly and uh, immoral thing. He's a criminal. He was uh, involved in drug trafficking and casinos and all these different things. But he's died and, and I'll pay you $10,000. If you'll stand up at preacher's funeral and just tell everybody he was a saint. So the preacher thought for a second. He thought, hmm, okay, I'll do that. And so he goes to the funeral and when he gets into it, he stands up there and he said, this man was one of the most wicked men that I have ever known. He was a drug trafficker. He was constantly breaking the law in and out of prison, casino operator, gambler, all these different things with the brother sitting on the front row. And he said, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> Anyhow, you have to put that in your pocket. So we're called to... <laughs> By the will of God to be saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is where we're going to hone in. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with, underline your Bible, every spiritual blessing. Where at? In the heavenly places. How? In Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy or separated unto God and without blame before Him in love. Here's that one, another one of those big words. Having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Now, um, this is what I want to look at on this, this chart. When you start talking about um, choosing and predestination, that's a hot topic nowadays and everybody's going kind of crazy over that and there's a whole lot of uh, debate on it. I hear people talking about it all the time. And honestly, there's this big movement that's been around for years. Calvinism, it's the doctrine of Calvinism. I'll, I'll be glad to stand up and say it's bogus, it's junk, it's a lie, it's, it's blasphemy, it misrepresents the, the very nature of God. It's a misinterpretation of the Scripture. I'm not a Calvinist, obviously. You can tell. Um, and, and, and what it says is God chooses some to go to heaven. God chooses some to go to hell. You're predestined. You have no nothing to say in it. Man doesn't have free will. And I'm not getting into that this morning. I would, I'd love to get to it any time with anybody and discuss that in a loving manner, but I'm totally and absolutely against the doctrines of Calvinism. Man was created in the image of God with free will, free choice. We choose. And so so when you look at this, you got to say, then what does it mean in the fact that God chose and that we're predestined? Now, on my little redneck chart, okay, when you look here, right about this area right here, okay, this is where time began. When God spoke, Genesis 1-1, God spoke... 
and created each and everything in this universe. And he started off and said, you know, the story, let there be light. And he began the, the six days of creation there on the last day creating Adam and Eve, man and woman who were the first one. They didn't come from a monkey. They were created in God's image, in the likeness of God. He placed them in the garden of God. And it was during that time that you see that they had fullness, abundant life. They were full of light. They were in perfect fellowship with God. Now you remember that the kingdom of heaven, when the Bible speaks about the kingdom of heaven where God dwells, it is a spiritual realm. John chapter 4 says God is a spirit and and He seeks after those who worship Him spirit and in truth okay and so when you look at the kingdom of heaven and a spiritual realm and i know that the bible talks about how you know that they look as heaven being up and and jesus ascended to the father in the clouds and it says he'll come back in like man like manner the bible teaches that christ is coming back in the clouds and and, and and through that, some people got the idea well, a long time ago before we ended up in space that God dwelt in the clouds and heaven was right there. And, and then one of the astronauts flew into heaven and, and one of his great statements that he made was, I have seen the heavens and there is no God. I'm thinking, you're a moron. I don't know how you ever got there. But um, but but here's the thing: knowing that God is real, heaven is not a place in the clouds where you float around. Okay, heaven is a different dimension. Okay, it's a spiritual realm. The Bible teaches that clearly all the way through it. First Kings chapter six, verse fourteen and sixteen through sixteen. You see that Elisha, who was a prophet of God, he was going along there. I believe it was the Syrian army that had surrounded them and his servant looked and he was fearful and he said, what are we going to do? And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. And he was talking about his spiritual eyes. And God opened his eyes and allowed this servant to see what was going on in the spiritual realm around him. And he said he looked into the hills and it was full of chariots with chariots of fire. It was God's army. And Elisha said, those who are for us are more than those who are against us. You also see that Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6 had a vision of heaven, okay, and he saw into the spiritual realm, he saw the throne room of God, he saw the angels who were circling God, crying, holy, 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 um, also remember in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was stoned to death, as he was dying, he looked up into the heavens, and he saw Jesus, not everybody saw Jesus, okay, it wasn't like, I'm trying to teach you a point, it's, it's not a physical realm, a physical place, you also see in, um, in uh, Revelation chapter 4, John uh, uh, sees a, a vision. He said, And I saw a door opened into heaven, into a different, into the, the spiritual dimension where God dwells, okay? And he saw the throne room of God, and it said, Immediately I was in the Spirit, okay? Flesh and blood does not enter into that kingdom, okay? And they even teach that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And we'll be caught up to be with the Lord. And so when you think about heaven, you don't think about, you know, when I die, I'm going to float up through the clouds and that kind of stuff. It's not like that. It's God dwelling in the spiritual realm, okay? And God, who is a creator, at one point in time in Genesis 1-1, created the physical realm. In order that He would create physical beings, a physical creation, okay? And at this point in time, and we'll get in this in the next couple of weeks, the kingdom of heaven remains separate from the kingdom of earth, okay? Spiritual realm, physical realm, two different realms, two different places, but there was perfect fellowship at that time between God. Remember, He would come in the evening as He would talk with uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and He would fellowship with them. And so there was unity, there was harmony, there was peace and all of that between God and His creation. It was a perfect 
physical universe created by a spiritual being, spiritual creator, spiritual God. Now, you remember the story, long story short, Adam and Eve chooses to call God a liar. They don't believe what God said when He warns them. He gave them free will to choose whether or not they would obey Him or not. They listened to the serpent. They listened to the devil. Eve was deceived. Adam chose to sin. Now remember, Adam was a representative of all of mankind. At that point in time, Adam represented every man. And in so making his choice to sin against God, it's what we call the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Adam sinned, and because of that sin, death was passed upon Adam and all men. And so after that, every person who is born of man, is born of Adam, and that, that inheritance we inherited, from Adam was passed on from him to the next generation to the next generation and that's why the Bible said I'm altogether born in sin that I was born a sinner I didn't have any choice in that whatsoever Adam passed that along to me that was the inheritance that he gave to me and at that point in time Adam and I've taught you this before Adam gave authority to Satan at that point in time to be the ruler of this world as Jesus himself spoke of am I totally losing y'all Okay, and you see that we'll cover this in, in Ephesians chapter six. But at this point in time, okay, Ephesians chapter six talks about. I just kind of drew. You got the kingdom of heaven, and when you think about the kingdom of heaven, one thing you want to point out. Why? I say, why did God always talk about it being up and and there? Well, because number one, that God is above all. Okay, He's over all, and that, that's where we get the word sovereign. God sovereignly reigns. He is not in the dimension of time. He is not governed by the laws of, of the universe. He's outside of that. He's holy. That's what the word holy means. He's apart and separate from those things. And so God is not bound by time. He doesn't think and look at things on a lateral line like we do. Okay, God sees the end from the beginning. It talks about that, I believe, in Isaiah 46, he said he knows the end from the beginning. God already sees things as finished. And so think about this when it talks about in Romans chapter 4 where where Abraham, God called him, it says, and God called Abram the father of many nations before he ever had a kid. And so God does not see you and I as, okay, I'm going to see what He's going to do today and respond, and I'm going to you know, wait around and see what happens. God's already been there. Listen to me, He's already been to your tomorrow. And just as He can call Abraham the father of many nations, He can call you while you still dwell in a sinful fleshly body that is temporary. He can say, you are holy and blameless and justified, okay? And all that goes back to this period of time that it speaks about before the foundation of earth in eternity past. Remember, God did not begin at a point in time. He is eternal. He's always been. So I don't understand that. I don't either, okay? Because I'm not eternal. I don't understand how a person in, you know, Los Angeles can stand in front of a, you know, a little piece of machine and all of a sudden I see him on a box in my house, okay? I'm simple, but... In some ways. But anyhow, God dwelled in eternity past. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always been. Okay, Jesus, when Christ became a man, God in a man's body, okay, he had a birthing point at time and place. But Christ, the Spirit of Christ, the Son of God, has always been. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternity past. That's an area we can't even begin to scratch the surface on understanding in our little finite 
minds. But the Bible says, in, during that time, before the foundations of earth, before God ever spoke the first thing into existence, that God already foreknew. Now I want to give you a couple of scriptures. You can look or you can write them down that uses the term their foreknowledge in Romans chapter 8. In verse 29, and it also uses in 1 Peter chapter 2, okay? In Romans chapter 8, and um, I'm going to read it to you. And Gosh, I don't cover half of what I wanted to cover this morning. Romans chapter 8 in verse 29, most of you know verse 28. It says, um, and we know that all things work together. All things, that's both what we see as good and bad. What we see as trials, tests, troubles. God said, I can take all things and I work them together for good, for who? To those who love God, to those who are the called according to what? His overall purpose, okay? For whom He did foreknow. There's a word there, I want to cover that. For whom He did foreknow. What comes first? Foreknowledge. To those he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's talking about firstborn from the dead. It's talking about his resurrection. What is God's all overall purpose? To undo what Adam did and to raise us in the likeness of Christ in a physical glorified body so that in the the finished process is that we are what God created us to be in the very presence of God in a physical glorified body just like Jesus. Jesus was the firstborn. We're going to be raised up. So that's what it's talking about to be conformed to the image of God. Now, I want to cover this word. Anyhow, let me finish this. First one, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he justified, means you made innocent. Justified, never sinned, okay? And whom he justified, and these are past tense. doesn't say he's justifying. That's right. said he's justified. Justified, he's glorified. Now what does that, that work? Glorified means as God sees us as already in glory, in a glorified form at this point in time. Say, so how in the world is that possible? Because God does not dwell in time. He's above it. He sees the whole... You know, we watched the Macy's Day Parade on Thanksgiving. One float at a time. God's up on the Empire State Building. He can see the end from the beginning. Say, so I, I know what's coming down here. Mickey Mouse or whoever. You know, they got on there now. I haven't watched it in 20 years, obviously. But, y'all with me? But I want to talk about no. And in First Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 2, it says, Elect. We, we love to hear that word today because there are some people who, who believe I am chosen. God chose me. He didn't choose you. Sorry about your love. And, and I'm the elect of God and it promotes this self-righteous, arrogant air for a lot of people. Not all of them, but for a lot of people. And, and, they, and they have this deal about it. It's all about God's grace and man has nothing to do with it whatsoever. It is all about God's grace, but God's grace enabled us to choose. And the word elect, okay, doesn't mean God said, I'm going to elect you, but not you, elect you, not you. There was a pastor, God help him, here in town that, that, that had lollipops in the pews in certain places when the, when the people walked in, he was trying to demonstrate elect. Those of you who have lollipop, you're the elect. Those of you who don't, sorry about your luck. And that's what he tried to say, that that's the way God chooses some and doesn't choose others. That some are predestined to go to hell. Some are predestined to be in heaven. It's just all about what God chooses to do, which I'll, I will tear that down. It will take weeks because there's so much information to tear it down with, but I'll tear it down easily. Okay, 
So don't buy into that junk because it's junk. And and I, I, I'm not against the people who believe it, but I am against the doctrine. And so in that, uh, when you look at this very clearly, you have to say, in both instances where the word is used, it's used for knowledge. Now, I listen to a pastor who promotes this Calvinistic view. I won't say who it is. I think he's a brilliant man of God, but I disagree with the strongest. But he took this word and he says, To foreknow does not mean to have prior knowledge to. It means to forelove. Whom God foreloved, he called. And I, and I thought, eh, I don't know about that. So I just pulled up every Greek lexicon that you can pull up Thayer's, Strong's uh, um, um, what's that other one that I lied, there's another, anyhow you can, get all, you can get all the information you want to on that word there and I pull it up and it's the Greek word in the original text that says it's the word prognosis pro means before, gnosis is where we get our word knowledge before knowledge to know beforehand that's the only definition there is of that word Found nowhere where it meant to forelove. It means to foreknow who, what God knew beforehand, before the foundation of the earth. God knew everything all the way to the end of the earth. He knew every exercise of faith that would bring salvation, every decision you would make, what you would do with the gospel. And He is great enough to give man free choice to go. I don't care what y'all choose. You do what you want to do, and I can still work all things together, my plan, my purpose, my way, and end up how. I want it to end up. And I was predestined according to God looked. He knew what choices I would make with the gospel of Jesus, how I would enact that in the faith of my life. As He did, by grace, He was the one who initiates it. Okay, There's nothing in us that sought after God, that provoked God to do this thing, that caused God to love us, to cause God. God in His grace... And mercy chose, apart from anything to do with man, to provide a way that mankind could be saved. He chose to call us. He chose to give us those things. And the Bible says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. First Peter chapter 3 says, it is not the will of God that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Not God didn't create certain people for heaven and certain people for hell. Man in his own Will chose to sin against God. We were born in sin. And just as I said, we inherited that sin. But here's the awesome thing. Jesus made a way because He, being the second Adam in form, came and represented all of mankind. And when He went to the cross, here's the good thing. When Adam sinned right here and the fall took place, the kingdom of darkness came between us and God. Okay, At that point in time, Genesis 3.15, God made the promise of a Savior, the seed of a woman. Okay, We were abducted. Satan come to do what? to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And through man's uh, sin against God, there was death, darkness, separation, and turmoil. God made a promise and He began to work through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The purpose of the law and prophets was to bring us all to this place where, and I want you to notice here, heaven is constant. Heaven never changes. God's not waiting around, depending upon man, waiting upon man, needful of man. He doesn't need anything. If every person ever born rejected God, rejected the gospel of Jesus, rejected God's love and mercy, it does not change anything for God. Anything. God does not need us. Okay. 
And the point is, heaven intervened into earth. Earth did not reach up. Man did not reach up to God. God chose, okay, to reach down to man and to offer us the opportunity and the gift of salvation. And I know that Romans chapter 9 says, The Lord chose mercy to whom He chose mercy. And He clearly defines who He shows mercy to. Who does He show mercy to? He shows mercy to those who humble themselves, trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. When He was... I'm going into a lot of stuff, but go back and re-listen to it. When he was speaking to Abraham, and he gave the Abrahamic promise, or the covenant to Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, he was not only speaking physically to Abraham, he was speaking to the seed of Abraham. And Paul clearly shows that that seed in Galatians chapter 3 is Christ Jesus. And so when he said, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. He was telling Abraham, yes, in Israel, the Jews are God's chosen people physically. And he, there is a blessing that goes with that. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your seed, your physical seed. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to, I'm going to curse those who come against you. But he was also speaking to his son at that time. And he said, I will bless those who bless you. Conditional. There's a condition. And I will do what? I will curse those who curse you. You either choose to bless and to come under the authority and the grace of God and the salvation of Jesus and you have the blessings, the every spiritual blessing it talks about here that is in the heavenly places or you will curse Jesus, you will curse Him and God will curse you. All revolves around Jesus. Everything has to do with in Him. Notice it says we are chosen in Christ. Let me say this and I'll get you out of here. In Christ means this, Okay. In Christ means at the moment in time that I trust in Jesus, I am united with Christ. I become one in Christ. Romans chapter 6, not talking of water baptism, but it says, Do you not know that you, when you were baptized, you were baptized into His death? Water baptism is a picture of what takes place in the spiritual realm. God gives us a physical view. A physical lesson of what's taking place. Because who does the baptizing? Not me. Jesus does. John said, there's one who comes after me who is preferred before me. Shoes I'm not worthy to unlatch. He it is that will baptize. I'll baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Talking about the fire of judgment. Depend upon your choice. And so what he's talking about there is... Jesus, at the moment that you trust Him, baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. You become united in one. Just like when I go under that water, I'm all about it, okay? The Holy Spirit, I am one in Christ. And so think about this. We're talking about why we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because when Christ came, okay, He united the physical and the spiritual, both in body and in spirit. He died on the cross. I think I got that. Yeah. Born as a man, he represents all of mankind, the second Adam. He is obedient to God, offers himself up as a perfect sacrifice for all sinners of all mankind, both those prior to and those afterwards, okay? And, and pays for the sin of mankind. What provoked God to do that? The mercy, the grace, and the justice of God. 
Okay? And so when Christ died on the cross, he was what? Buried. The Bible teaches that your sins were buried. You were, notice what it says in Romans chapter 6. No, because I haven't been there. Well, just stay with me. You were buried with him in baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. You were, you died to that old man united in Christ. You keep reading Romans chapter 6 a little bit later and you get a chance to say, and just as he was raised, you were raised. Now, at this point, there was a holy connection made between me and Jesus at the time that I trusted Him through the work of the Holy Spirit. And think about this, Christ is risen. And what happened with Christ in the book of Acts? It said He ascended to the Father. Where is He at now? At the right hand of the throne of God. He is our high priest, according to Hebrews. And He represents me where? In the heavenly places. That puts me in heavenly places. God sees me as what? Glorified. And so that means there's nothing, that's why there's nothing on earth that can separate you. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because there is a union between me and the Lord Jesus through His shed blood, through the work of the Holy Spirit, in which by His grace and mercy He has saved me, made me one in Christ, and now I have a different inheritance. Adam gave me the inheritance of death. Romans chapter 5 said, For by one man, death or sin entered the world, and death by sin, but by another man, by his obedience, I have the inheritance of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, all of the things that Adam brought about, Jesus has undone in the spiritual realm, and now we're in a process, and I don't have the rest of my, my idea, but we have been, we went from being abducted by the devil to being adopted by the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're predestined to be adopted as sons, and anyhow, I gotta finish this up. So when you think about this, um, I'm going to close that up, and I'm going to close my notes up so I can get you out of here, but I, I do want to read this to you. When you think about the foreknowledge of God, the message of the gospel, you know, what we watch the passion of the Christ. If you watch the movie, you watch it, and go, that is horrific. All that Jesus went through must have been horrible, and it, it absolutely had to be uh, the most worst, horrible experience that anybody has ever experienced, both physically and spiritually. But think about this. Before God ever spoke us into existence, before the first dust ever took place in eternity, in eternity past, God looked down through time and He knew that man who He loved, who He blessed, who He created in His own image, who He breathed the breath of life into, He gave Him the gift of life, He gave Him all of creation, He made everything awesome, He even came and walked with Him day by day. He knew that that man along with every man after that would curse His name, would blaspheme Him, would sin against Him, would call Him a liar, would make Him a mockery. He knew the mess that we would make. He knew the hurt that we would cause. He knew the devastation it would bring, the death, the murders, the killing, the lies, the stealing, the adultery, all the wicked things that I've ever done in my life. God foreknew before He put the first word into existence of all the universe... He looked ahead of time and He said, I still love them. Jesus, the Son of God, said, I am willing to die for those people. Without any influence of those people. 
I'm willing, even though I know what they're going to put me through on the cross. He looked, we watched the show, he looked ahead of time and he said, I recognize what I'm going to suffer and what I'm going to go through in order just to give them the opportunity to know me and to experience what I really have for them that the devil has lied and deceived them to and what they think that they know that they don't know. I will go and I will die. And the Father allowed that. And knowing all of that, the Father stepped forward and said, Let there be light. And God's plan began to unfold right there. Knowing all that He would have to go through just to save a bunch of morons. And the Bible says it was by the good pleasure of His will. One like God went, man, they really messed up. Now i got to do something. God's like, they're really going to mess up. And how I take great pleasure. In being their Savior. To redeem them. To buy them back. And to give them what I have for them. We'll go on this next week. But God has an amazing plan and purpose. Which we are just a very small part of. But you are so significant. That God looked down through time. And He saw you. But here's the thing. Even though He saw all of your sin. And all of your mistakes. And all of your ungodliness. And all of your wickedness. And all of those things. He looked beyond that to the cross and He saw His Son. And at the moment that you trusted Jesus, God saw you as justified. Justified, never sinned. He saw you just as when He made Adam before Adam ever fell. And He sees you as glorified. And God sees you as already home. And the Bible even says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's what it's all about. It's not about you being good and doing religious stuff and all that stuff. It's about you had no hope and neither have I. We did nothing to cause God to open up heaven and send His Son. God looked down upon us and He saw nothing whatsoever that provoked anything. But God is so amazing, so loving, so merciful, so good that He said, You know what? I'm going down there to save them because I want them to have good. doesn't change anything. Think about it. It doesn't change anything to do with God. If you don't show up in heaven, heaven's still heaven. And God offers every person here the opportunity to go, I'll save you. If you'll humble yourself and you trust in me, I'll save you and I'll seat you. And one day, one day, even though this old rotted, stinking, falling apart body is going to fall into the dirt and to the ground, you're going to, that's when, you know what I'm talking about, at the moment that you die, you are in the presence in heaven, wherever heaven is, okay, I don't care where it is, but you walk into the presence of God and He sees you as a son or a daughter. Not a, well, let's see if you measured up and, and did what you need to do and you, you kept what you needed to keep in order that I let you in. You're seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places totally and absolutely by God's gift of grace. God loves you. I don't care what you've done, where you are. Why would you leave this morning without that gift that He died to give you? It was His plan to save you. It's His good pleasure that His Son suffered so you could be forgiven. Why not be forgiven today? Just humble yourself to receive it. Oh God, I'm not worthy of it. I can't do anything to work for it. Lord, I just want to ask you by your mercy and your grace that you would forgive my sin and save my soul and give me life because you're good and I'm not and God will save you right there every person that's ever sought God to save him he saved him he forgives you and he puts you on a path of his plan you've got such an amazing hope at that point in time that this world takes on a whole new light and so does God will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed let's have a word of prayer you respond however you choose
Lord, I love you, God. Thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I know we covered a lot this morning. God, your word is it is mind-boggling, God. And, and it just blows me away that you love us that much and that you went through everything you went through, not only to save us, but Lord, to communicate that to us. God, your spirit still wrestles with us. Lord, I know there's people in this crowd that you're wrestling with right now. Lord, that I pray they just that they would just quit fighting, Lord, that they would humble themselves today before you and that you would be their Lord and their Savior. God, I just thank you for the people who are here who are your sons and daughters. So we thank you that you adopt us, that you that you choose that, God, not something we do, but because you're just amazing and a gracious God. Lord, I, I pray that we would realize the power of the cross and what it's accomplished for us, Lord, that our lives would be the result of that, Lord, that we would truly be a people, Lord, who are thankful and that we have thanksgiving each and every day of our life, Lord, to give you praise, Lord, to look forward to what you have for us, not only in this world, but especially, Lord, in the one to come, God. I praise you and I ask you if there's someone here today that's lost, Lord, that right now they would just, that they would choose to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.